Okay, so Philippians 3, 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth and knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Our next passage is Matthew 4, 12 through 25. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that when he... So that when was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephili, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in the darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region, in the region and the shadow of death of them a light had dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two, two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And when he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread through all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and, paralytic, <clears throat> and, paralytics, and paralytics and healing them. And a great crowd followed him through Galilee and the... Decapolis from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This is our Lord. Do you pray with me? Gracious God, we ask that the words of my mouth, the thoughts and meditations of our heart together would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You are, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer, and we are grateful. We are grateful for your presence. We are grateful for your promises. We are grateful that when your word goes forth, you promise that it goes forth with your power, and that it will accomplish whatever you intend for it to accomplish. And some of us here may not even know what that is for ourselves. We may not know what we need from you, but we all know this, that we do need your grace. We need it now. We need it at every moment. And so we ask that you would give it to us, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So one of the tips that I was given from numerous professors is that when you're reading the Bible and there's details given, pay attention. 
Because I don't know if you've noticed, but oftentimes when you're reading through, say, the Gospels in a narrative, you don't get a lot of detail. You don't necessarily see what the person looks like in the description or what they're wearing or those sorts of things. So when detail comes, then pay attention. And in the middle of this passage, which in some ways is sort of a general passage that's setting up the rhythms of Jesus' earthly ministry that Mark will, or excuse me, Matthew in his Gospel will give us more detail throughout, In the middle of this passage is this really intimate scene between Jesus and four of his first disciples, and he gives us some details, and I think he wants us to pay attention, Uh, and pay attention in this way. Let this scene stir your imagination a little bit. Let it stir your imagination a little bit, because this is a scene when Jesus comes to four men who are about to become his followers, and there is a very intimate and detailed one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-four experience that I believe God is inviting us to put ourselves into, right? These were fishermen in the first century. Kids, use your imagination. Have you ever seen a fishing boat? Have you ever seen a marina with a bunch of boats? Have you ever seen a marina in which boats go out to catch fish? And what are the people, the men and women on those boats doing? Think about it. Use your imagination. Imagine if you were there, if you were beside Lake Galilee. It's called a sea, but it was really a lake. And there's this little kind of cove of fishing boats. And you're watching. You're a fisherwoman, and you're watching, and you see that there's your buddies, James and John, Peter and Andrew. And look, here comes that guy, Jesus. You see him coming, and you've heard about him. Right, here you are. You're about to go get a good day's work done. You're an Israelite, and you live in this town, Capernaum, by the sea, and you've got a small family business, and you're making it, right? People need to eat, and there's fish, and you know how to catch them, and you're getting it done. And yes, Rome is occupying, and there's the centurions and the, pre- and the threat and the presence of that occupation, but you've got your family, and you've got your faith, And you've got your people, and you've got your job, and then here he comes. And you've heard about him, this guy Jesus. Put yourself into that scene and ask yourself the question, what is this guy about? What is this Jesus up to? What is he talking about? What is he doing? What is he doing over there? with Peter and Andrew and James and John. What's going on? What answer would you give? Is Jesus coming over to spread some catchy moral truths that can help you live a better life, do unto others, that sort of thing? Has Jesus come to hand out a few four spiritual law tracts to your buddies before they get out on the boat? Has he come to establish a new religious school or a philosophical movement? People were doing that from time to time in this area? Has he come on the scene to walk and talk and put his money where his mouth is and just show how to live a good, moral, human life? What has Jesus come to do? What is this guy up to that's walking along your lake that day? If you ask Jesus what he's up to, what would he say? What does he say here? 
in verse 6, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus talked about the kingdom all the time. You could translate verse 17, from that time, Jesus began and talked all the time about the kingdom. Kids, how many times have you said this of your mom and dad? Dad, you say that all the time. That's what Jesus did. He talked about the kingdom all the time. All the time. Over and over and over. Matthew's gospel, Matthew gives us the story of Jesus' life and ministry, his death and resurrection. Matthew talks about, excuse me, Jesus in the story, the Gospel of Matthew, talks about the kingdom 50 times. 50. There's about 30 pages in your Bible of Matthew's Gospel. So, what is that? One and a half times per page, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Same thing, right? They, out of respect for God's name, they often at that time wouldn't use his name. And so kingdom of heaven just meant kingdom of God. God is from the realm of heaven. 50 times. It's all Jesus talked about. It's all he did. And so if you ask Jesus, what are you about? He would say, I'm about bringing the kingdom of heaven. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to just spend a little bit of time trying to dig deeper into what Jesus would have meant when he said, I'm all about the kingdom of heaven. Kids, you still with me? Got another question for you. How many of you know how to skip rocks on a river or a lake? Okay. How many of you can skip, make it go like five times? That's pretty good. Can anyone do 10? Has anyone ever done 10? 10 times, right? Nice. 15? Hands still up? Like 50 times? Has anyone made a rock skip 50 times? I haven't either. So we're not going to do 50, right? We're going to do five. Five kingdom skips this morning to dig a little deeper. And of course, those are going to ripple out throughout the entire Gospel of Matthew. And so we'll come back to them. We can't go deep, but we want to hit five characteristics of the kingdom that we can find right here in this story to get us started so that we can be on the same page as Jesus is when we think about what it means to live out and proclaim the gospel good news of the kingdom. Kingdom context, kingdom conflict, the kingdom's king, kingdom people, and kingdom culture. If you like to write things down, it's a good week. We've got five of them. Kingdom context, kingdom conflict, the kingdom's king, the kingdom's people, and kingdom culture. First, the kingdom context. Have you noticed yet, we're only up to chapter four, but as Matthew wants to introduce Jesus to us, he goes to the Old Testament scriptures. He goes back to Jesus' Bible, and he talks about how the story of that Bible is leading up to Jesus' present ministry. He does it over and over and over again. And so, of course, he does it here when Jesus begins to talk about the kingdom. Uh, Remember Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist? John the Baptist has been thrown into prison, and so it's not safe for Jesus to do his ministry near Nazareth anymore. So he goes heads up north to Lake Galilee, and he starts to do his ministry there. And so as Matthew looks at the story, he's like, oh yeah, Sea of Galilee, 
north, Capernaum, no, 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 I got this. And he goes back to Isaiah 9. And what did Mark read for us in Isaiah chapter 9? If you flip in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9, do you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a heading that says, The Righteous Reign of the Coming King. You see, kingdom is not a concept that Jesus just pulled out of thin air, as if he comes on the scene of his ministry and he's thinking, how can I help these people understand what I'm all about? What analogy or metaphor could I use? Oh yeah, Rome, Caesar, those guys, kingdoms, kings. Let's talk about kingdom. We'll talk about God and we'll talk about me and we'll just talk about kingdom. No, that's not how it worked at all. The kingdom that Jesus talks about and has brought in his presence as the king is a kingdom with a context, with a long backstory. It goes back to Isaiah, right? Isaiah the prophet wants to tell God's people, listen, you've lived in the land, you've been a part of God's kingdom, but your continued rebellion means you're going to be exiled. But I will bring you back and we will reestablish the kingdom, the beautiful, light-filled, joy-filled, glorious, blessing-full, freedom, justice, and righteousness-characterized kingdom. I'm going to bring it back because the king's going to come back. Where did Isaiah get that idea that Israel was a kingdom and there would be a king that would come reestablish that kingdom? Isaiah got that idea from God himself. Do you remember King David, the king after God's own heart? Right? David has established Israel in the land. They're set up to be God's kingdom among all the other kingdoms. And David says in 2 Samuel 7, Hey God, you've done such great work for us, I want to build you a house. And God says, no, David, I'm going to build you a house. It's going to be a kingdom house. It's going to be my kingdom house. And there's going to be a descendant of yours on the throne forever. That kingdom with that king is my kingdom. And I'm going to establish it for you. So you see, Israel, God's Old Testament people, when they thought about themselves, they thought about themselves as part of God's kingdom. And when they thought about the world, they thought about one king over all. And that king was their God. And so when they sang their songs to reinforce to their hearts who they were and who God is and what this world is all about, they sang about kings and kingdoms and about God as king. And so if you look at the Psalms, go do this today if you have time. Psalm 72, and this is just a representation. This isn't all of them. Psalm 68, Psalm 84, Psalm 47, Psalm 44, Psalm 10, Psalm 95. The Lord is a great God and a king above all gods. Where did Israel get this idea that their God is king and not just king of them, but king of everybody? Where did that idea come from? If you flip all the way back to the beginning of the Bible... To the very first page, Genesis chapter 1, and I'll read it for us. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea 
and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing. You're my image bearer, human beings. You are made in my image. And so I'm setting you up in my world to be kings and queens, to have dominion and to rule. Not just any way you want to, the way I would rule because... I'm the true king. You're my image bearers. You're going to rule with and for me. Right? So from the very beginning, the backstory for Jesus bringing God's kingdom as he comes on the scene as the king is this story of a kingdom that goes all the way back to the very beginning. What's the point? When the Bible talks about kingdom, it's not just one religion using one term to talk about one aspect of one theology. Kingdom is foundational. Kingdom gets at who we are and who God is and what it means to live rightly in His world. And kingdom, friends, according to the Bible, isn't just for Christians and followers of Jesus. Kingdom describes everybody. And so when you go to Revelation and the backstory moves into a forward story, Revelation says that when Jesus comes again as king, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. And that every nation will bring their tribute to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Here's the point. Kingdom is bigger than what you think it is, no matter what you think it is. The kingdom of God and King Jesus is not something that you grab onto to bring into your life and make your kingdom a little better. The kingdom of heaven is the gracious and glorious reign of the God who made this world in love, and is redeeming it in love through Jesus. And you're being invited into something bigger. The kingdom has a context. The kingdom has a conflict. When Jesus says the kingdom is here, how does he say to enter into the kingdom? Repent. He says repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. In other words, you need to turn around You've been living in this kingdom. You need to turn around from that kingdom and turn into my kingdom. At every point in the story of kingdom in the Bible, there is an anti-kingdom. And guess who sets up the anti-kingdom against God's kingdom? It's us. Right? If you look at our first parents in the garden, what was their first sin? What was the thing that got humanity off track from the very beginning that we continue to participate in. They wanted to be their own kings and queens, right? They didn't believe that it was enough to live in this world under God's kingship. They said, no, we want to be our own kings and queens. And so there is a kingdom, a realm of life that's characterized 
by you and me seeking our own autonomy and our own self-interest. And Jesus graciously and convictingly invites us out of that kingdom into his. The world is not supposed to work with you and me setting ourselves up as kings and queens of our kingdom of one. When we go after our own autonomy, when we go after our own self-interest, it turns into the world that we have. In other words, a world that in some ways is beautiful, but also a world which is bent and broken and distorted. Because friends, when you go after your own interest, when I go after my own interest, we cannot do it unless we're pushing against the interest of somebody else. That's just the way it works. And so the kingdom of me is a kingdom of conflict. It's a kingdom of judging. It's a kingdom of lifting myself up by pushing you down. Young adults, do you remember uh, at our retreat, our speaker Martin Bond talked about Brian Regan's Me Monster comedy bit? You guys remember that? Did anyone go watch it? Brian Regan's a comedian. If you go YouTube, look up on YouTube, Brian Regan, Me Monster. It's a fantastic four-minute stand-up clip. And he talks about being at a party, and you've all had this experience, right? You're at this party, and here comes the me monster. And you hear him over there talking. And I can't do this stand-up bit, I'm sorry. I'm just, it's not my kind of humor. But he talks about this guy, oh, he talks about me and my and myself. And look, at I, you know, I went out to Tahoe, and that's California. Sorry, I can't do it off the top of my head in Texas yet. But the guy just talks about me, 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 me. And Brian Regan, me, 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 me. He turns into the me monster. Everything is about me. And it's funny, like all good humor is, because it hits a little too close to home, doesn't it? Because we can all look around. Yeah, me monster, right over there. You should have heard the other day. And that person is saying to you, yeah, me monster, right there. Should have heard him the other day, right? Me monster. We're the me monsters of our kingdoms. And Jesus is saying, no way, that's not good enough. God has so much more for you in this world. Repent, turn away from that kingdom and come in to mine. Follow me. It's going to be good for you, I promise. The kingdom has a context. The kingdom has a confrontation. The kingdom has a king. How does God woo our hearts away from our kingdom of me? into the glorious kingdom of his son. How does he do it? What characterizes the kingdom of heaven that is so compelling that it could break through our selfishness and our desire for autonomy and self-interest and get us into a kingdom in which we can experience the blessing of God and extend it to those around us? How does God do it? Well, in this passage, in Matthew's story, he does it through the compelling person of the king. Right? Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is the kingdom of heaven? Where is the castle? Where are the soldiers? Where is all the money with your face on it, Jesus? What is the kingdom? And what does Matthew show us? We'll look again at verse 18. 
while walking by Lake Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers. There's the kingdom in the person of the king. And if you get to be a king, is that how you're going to reveal yourself to everyone? I don't think so. I wouldn't. We don't have kings, right? I was trying to think about how to talk about this in ways that we can relate and connect. We don't have kings in our country. We have one king, LeBron James, right? <laughs> king James, right? And how does King James reveal himself at a basketball game? Music, light show, and then he does, yeah, the chalk thing where he goes, bah! And he stands there like this, and everybody looks at him. And then he does his thing. Now, I think it's mostly show. I don't know that LeBron James is a super arrogant guy. And it's, it's a show. But why does he do it that way? Because that's what we think a king ought to do when he comes on the scene. And how does Jesus come on the scene? He's walking along a lakeshore, and he talks to a couple fishermen. Because he's the humble king. Do you remember when Pope Francis first became Pope? And he caused quite a stir because he said he didn't want to live in the papal palace. Why? Because his King Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head in his earthly ministry. He didn't even have a home. Pope created quite a scandal because he drove around in his beater or Peugeot or Renault or however you say that car. Why? Because his King Jesus, when he rode into Jerusalem for his coronation, he did it on a donkey. The prophets say that Jesus had no beauty that we would behold him and value him. Jesus came as a humble king. And that actually resonates with us, right? But even more than that, he comes as the compelling king. And this is the fun mystery of this story. Is that Jesus shows up. He's walking along the lake. Right? The brothers are in the boat. I mean, can you put yourself back in the scene, right? You're their friend. You're sitting in your boat and you're watching. And you can sort of hear a little bit of what's going on. And there's not much conversation that happens. But here's your buddies, Simon and Andrew, and then James and John. And they're fishing. They're doing their thing. They're casting their nets. And they're mending their nets. And then all of a sudden, they've left their boats. They left their dad. And there they go with Jesus. That's it. Jesus showed up. He said a few things. They leave their life. They leave their livelihood. They leave their family, and they follow him. Why? Well, because it's Jesus. Because he's compelling. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more he will compel you out of your own selfishness and self-interest and into a kingdom in which you can love God and love others because he has loved you first. It's just what happens as we read the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to see story after story after story of person after person after person who is encountered by Jesus and they respond to him and their life is changed. It's who he is. He is the loving king. He is the serving king. He is the forgiving king, right? He is the one who makes sense out of our lives in our world. And when people get around him, they respond to him. It didn't just happen in the Gospels. It happens all throughout history. 
Friends, the Christian church has however many billions of members, followers of Jesus right now in the world because men and women and children have been encountered by Jesus and he has compelled them to himself. And some of you have experienced this. I have a friend who's a pastor who guests preached at a church from a different Christian tradition than he was used to. And this church that he went and preached at had a different kind of sermon preaching um, culture. It wasn't like this, where somebody is up on stage talking and there's a bunch of you out there listening politely and some of you are nodding and, and helping me out by giving me a little, you know, visual feedback and eye contact and nodding. No, like it was back and forth engagement. And sometimes the engagement turned into like a little bit of a battle. And my friend said he went to this church and he's preaching. And as he's preaching, a lady in the back just yells out, get him up, pastor. He's like, he's used to preaching in a church like this one. She said, get him up, pastor. He's like, what? And so he keeps preaching, lift him up. Lift him up, pastor. I can't see him. He's like, what is going on? And he finally realized, like, she thinks that I'm not displaying Jesus well enough in this passage, right? Because she knows if Jesus is lifted up, then he's going to draw people to himself because he's compelling. He's like, evidently, Jesus was not compelling enough through me for her. Please don't do that to me. Like, we can talk about how to do that, but... But she, she was on to something, right? The kingdom has a king. The kingdom has a people. What kind of people? We'll explore this together. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're four of how many? Twelve. What's Jesus doing? He's restarting the program. He's starting a new people, a new Israel, because the true king has come. What kind of people? Are these new kingdom people? We know at least this from this passage. They're all in kind of people. They left their nets. They left their dads. And they followed them. And we're going to get into the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' teaching. And we're going to get into Jesus' miracles and his healings and his ministry. And here's what I can promise you. If you're awake and paying attention, Jesus is going to tick you off at some point, because he's going to start talking about your business in a way that you're going to want to say, Jesus, that's the me monster, my business, hands off. And he's going to say, no, 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 my kingdom is an all-in kingdom. And I want you and I want all of you. There's no dual citizenship here. You don't get to be me monster kingdom for a little bit and Jesus kingdom. You're mine. All of you. All in kind of people. So just get ready. I'm just putting that out there for us. And here's the thing. If somebody comes to you, let's say a boss comes to you and said, listen, I'm going to give you a good salary. This is a great job. Good career advancement opportunities. But here's the deal. I own you. If I call, you answer. Doesn't matter what time of day. Doesn't matter how many hours you've worked that week. Doesn't matter if your kid's sick, I don't care. 
I call, you answer. You're all mine. If a boss says that, if a boss says that to your friend, what are you going to say to your friend? Eh, might not be worth it, right? That sounds a little bit dangerous. You might want to stay away from that kind of a kingdom. That's what Jesus says, right? The kingdom of heaven is here. I'm here. Follow me. And by the way, every bit of you is mine. You ought to ask, if that's true, what kind of king and what kind of kingdom? Is this a good kingdom? Is this a trustworthy kingdom? Is this a kingdom that's going to bring blessing to me and to my neighbors through me? Because if it's not, no way. And so we're going to see as we go through Matthew, the character of the kingdom. This kingdom has a culture. Matthew says as a little bit of a promo that Jesus went throughout all Galilee teaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and doing all kinds of awesome healings. Like, this is what the kingdom is going to be about. This is the kind of kingdom that I've come to bring. So let's bring it to a, well, I don't know if it's a stopping point. Let's put a comma on this conversation for now. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? Let's go back to the lakeside. For some of you, when Jesus says, repent, you know there's something that you're holding on to that you need to let go of. And if that's true, would you let Jesus confront you? Would you let him pull you completely out of the kingdom of me monster? Whatever it is that you don't want to let him have control over. Would you repent and give it to him and come in? For the first time or for the 5,000th time, doesn't matter. For some of us in this room, we need to catch a fresh glimpse of the beauty and compelling nature of who Jesus is. We need our hearts pulled away from our own self-interest by seeing just how beautiful he is and how glorious life can be with and through him. And how might that happen? How might we let go of our own self-interest and grab on to the beauty and glory of Jesus? How might we live in the kingdom? And I'll just encourage you with this by saying, you're doing it right now. Come into a worship service and you're living kingdom. You're living the kingdom life. Right? What happens in a call to worship? We're reminded that God is the biggest and the best, not us. That he has a kingdom that's bigger than ours. What happens when we praise? We're worshiping the king. We're giving him all the glory. What happens when we have a confession, an assurance of pardon? We're reminded that you are in good standing as citizens in Jesus' kingdom because of what he's done for you. What happens when the word is preached? Hopefully, Jesus is lifted up as beautiful and compelling. What happens when we're sent out with a benediction? We get to go, having been renewed and refreshed in the presence of Jesus, to proclaim and to live out the beauty of the kingdom of Jesus for our neighbors. 
so that when they see the life of this community, they might see a glimpse of the Celt... I almost made it to the end. The compelling beauty of this kingdom culture and particularly this king. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your words and these people's patience. Thank you for our kids who are ready to come in and participate in the family meal together. Thank you for your kingdom. Would you help us to have a fresh sense and maybe for the first time a sense of what life could be if we give ourselves fully to you. We pray it in your name. Amen.